Well, I, uh, I hope I can, that, that we can discuss this and I can present this in a way that will be uh, as impactful for you as it has been for me. I love studying these guys and we will study ladies later, or later on. As you see over here on my list, some of you can see back behind over here, the far one. We get down to the end and we're going to look at Perpetua and Felicity and Thecla. Those are ladies that uh, played an important role in the second century toward the end of the second century. But most of what we're looking at now obviously would uh, are men and men who worked with churches and wrote letters to churches. These are the letters we're going to look at today, all of them by Ignatius. He wrote from Smyrna, and we'll see this on the uh, map in a few minutes. He wrote from Smyrna to churches in, this is another grandchild. <laughs> he wrote to churches in uh, Magnesia, that's at least the way I pronounce it. You may prefer Magnesia, I pronounce it Magnesia to Trollus and to Rome, and we're going to actually start today with the letter to Rome, which Fletcher was just talking to me about a few minutes ago. Ignatius made his way from Smyrna to Troas, and he wrote those following three letters from Troas, and we're going to read all of these today. Now this is a reminder of what uh, Leland showed you last week. I hope everybody can see that clearly enough. <clears throat> This is the journey that Ignatius made. Leland stated early on that uh, we don't know much about Ignatius other than what we find in these letters. And if you look at the Apostolic Fathers right here, a great portion of the Apostolic Fathers consist of Ignatius' letter, letters to six churches and to one individual, the one individual being Polycarp, who was Bishop in Smyrna. So Ignatius starts in Antioch, that's where he was bishop, and Eusebius clearly says that Ignatius was bishop in Antioch, and that's Antioch of Syria. He made his way across Asia Minor, which is today, Ella, do you know what Asia Minor is today? Turkey. Asia Minor is Turkey. <coughs> Sorry, honey, I told you I wouldn't embarrass you. But that didn't embarrass you, did it? Okay. This is Turkey. And uh, what do you recognize about those different cities? What, uh, uh, aren't they, many of them, the same cities? John, Paul, Paul visited many of these. And John, writing in Revelation, the seven churches, that's many of these are listed there. He made his way to Laodicea, that's one of the seven churches, right, in John? Laodicea, Philadelphia, he wrote to Philadelphia, we'll see that in a few minutes, Sardis. He stopped in Smyrna. Trollis is just southeast of Smyrna, not extremely far from there. Magnesia, here, and then Ephesus, which uh, Leland led us through the look at that book last week. Then he left Smyrna and went up to Troas. Now this shows my lack of Bible knowledge sometimes. Was Troas where 
the Paul had the Macedonian Paul. Was that Troas? Wasn't it? Wasn't that Troas? To go over to Philippi, yeah. But he had that beckoning in Troas, I think, is where he had the beckoning over there. And then he went, uh, Ignatius then went over to Philippi and uh, went to the port of Philippi, which is Neapolis. And of the places that are, that are listed here, C and I have been to Ephesus, we've been to Istanbul, which is further up toward the Black Sea, up in this area. And years ago, I went with um, uh, Tim. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> I went with Tim to Philippi. So that was a lot of fun, too. All right. Here's, I'm going to start with Rome. So if I, you have a paper copy, look at Rome. This is, and I, these are select passages from the letter to Rome. This one, this letter is different from the others in that, and I think you'll see this as we go through them, that it has a, a, a different orientation to it. Here's the introduction. This is Ignatius writing to the church in Rome. You are a credit to God. You deserve your renown and are to be congratulated. You deserve praise and success and are privileged to be without blemish. Yes, you rank first in love, being true to Christ's law and stamped with the Father's name. To you then, sincerest greetings in Jesus Christ, our God, for you cleave to his every commandment, observing not only their letter, but their spirit, being permanently filled with God's grace and purged of every stain alien to it. Things are off to a good start. What do you think he means? On his journey, on his journey to Rome to die. Now remember, this is what he's doing. He has left Antioch of Syria. He's on this journey to Rome for the single purpose of dying. So things are off to a good start. May I have the good fortune to meet my fate without interference. What I fear is your, is your generosity which may prove detrimental to me. For you can easily do what you want to, whereas it is hard for me to get to God unless you let me alone. What's he afraid of? They're going to work to set him free. That's right. He doesn't want them to work to set him free. It's a grand thing for my life to be on my way to God sort of fits with what Jason was talking about last week, and we're going to look at one of those phrases where this guy's cut out of a different bolt of cloth than most of us. Now, I, you know, and don't take this the wrong way, I haven't found in Ignatius' letters too many statements that I consider to be profound, insightful, 
things that just made me kind of step back and think, wow. But this is one of them, though. Notice what he says. It's not that I want merely to be called a Christian, but actually to be one. Now, he's equating martyrdom with actually being Christian. Now, notice this next statement. The greatness of Christianity lies in its being hated by the world, not in its being convincing to it. Have any thoughts about that? I don't relate to that. <laughs> I don't think that's... It's okay to say he's wrong. I don't agree with it. <coughs> I don't either, really. That was his perspective, Trisha. Yeah, that's fine. But I, See, this is not enough. I may upset some people, but this sounds a lot like ISIS mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. They're saying they don't care mm -hmm. whether they're hated by the world. Their way to God is by being martyred. And there is no question but that Ignatius on this trek from Antioch of Syria all the way to Rome has one thing in mind. I want to die for God and get to him quickly. Uh, but there are certain elements of, of Christianity in more recent years, by that I mean the last 500, that have taken that approach where they're not, where they don't actively proselytize mm -hmm. and evangelize, mm -hmm. and they are distinct for being set apart yeah. from the world. So he's not, I mean, so so there are groups that are plowing that ground in yeah. a similar way even today. And remember, however we interpret these guys, interpret them in light of the world in which they're living. <coughs> remember that, yes. So, not having read all the letters and all this one letter, yeah, let right. me offer maybe, maybe a different way to interpret okay. that. That first line, not that I want merely to be called a Christian, but actually be one. Mm -hmm. I think we could all say that. I mean, there's a lot of people in this world that call themselves Christians. But are they really following Christ? And I think we could all say we want to be real Christians. We want to do what Christ... And for him, them. though, for him, his answer to really be one means what? I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm saying maybe... Maybe in his mind, when it's when it's called, when it's when your time is to be called before the court and killed, that you stand up and you don't deny Christ and you're killed. Maybe in his mind that's what it yeah. is. But so the other sentence, the greatness of Christianity lies in being hated by the world, not in its being convincing to it. Um, another take on that is that. Despite being hated by the world, Christianity survives because mm -hmm. we do, we love other people. We love the unlovable. We should, anyway. We help the less fortunate than us, which mm -hmm. is countercultural, I think, through all time. Okay. And maybe that is the greatness Good. of Christianity, <coughs> that despite being completely countercultural, Christianity lives on. Whatever that counter-cultural outcome may 
may be, and it may be different for him than it is for us. Jane and then Lauren. Jane over here. Oh, the, the thing that struck me in the second sentence there um, is that to me it seems selfish on his part. I mean, Paul said, it's better for me to die, but mm -hmm. for you, you know, it's better that I live. And I don't see that coming out in Ignatius. He's all about, I'm going and this is what what's right for me and not... It doesn't just seem like he's thinking about, well, what about your people? Yeah. Notice one thing in all this. He doesn't expect others to do as he's doing. That's one thing I noticed in this. He doesn't anywhere in his writing to any of these places that I can remember says, now I expect you guys to follow me. This is his personal <coughs> testimony, Lord. I was just going to say that I think it's also important to situate this quote in light of the fact that Christianity at this phase was really seen as being a kind of political danger because mm -hmm. the movement was educating slaves and women. And yeah. So there was this whole sense of um, there were many people to whom Christianity was uh, convincing. You know, there, there was, it was a growing movement. So I think when he says it's being hated by the world, he's talking about something like the political powers of the world that want to crush this, right? And then in terms of the movement towards martyrdom, there was a strong sense in the early church that uh, this was a very likely fate for mm -hmm. many of them. So there was a long kind of training for this possibility that they went underwent spiritually. And they, they kind of thought of it in terms of um, you shouldn't seek it out, but if you are kind of chosen for it, in yeah. a sense you're participating in Christ's crucifixion. So there's a, there, I think, it, I, I don't. I think it'd be a mistake to read this in terms of something like ISIS, in other words, because I think there's a much greater sense in which they see this as a testimony to the strength of their faith. And ironically, by virtue of the martyrdoms, the church grew. People saw it as a testimony. And it plays a bigger role even in following periods of time. Uh, the and it's. And maybe he is, he's not necessarily saying to people, you must follow this, but he's certainly giving an example of courage. If it, if it does come your fate, yeah. here is something to follow. Now look, look at this next one. Some of you probably already read it. But this gets, is the right word macabre, maybe? Let me be fodder for wild beasts. That's how I can get to God. I'm God's wheat. Look at this metaphor. I am God's wheat and I'm being ground by the teeth of wild beasts to make a pure loaf for Christ. I would rather that you fawn on the beast so that they may be my tomb and no scrap of my body be left. What a thrill I shall have from the wild beasts that are ready for me. I hope they will make short work of me. I shall coax them on to eat me up at once and not to hold off. <coughs> Come fire, cross, battling with wild beasts, wrenching of bones, mangling of limbs, crushing of my whole body, cruel tortures of the devil. Only let me get to Jesus Christ. You know, I guess you could do a psychological analysis of him on this. If, and if when I arrive, 
I say something different to you, <coughs> don't pay any attention to me. You know, when I read this, I thought about, I'll Emily tell C you sometime. It. What? Emily would tell it. Never mind. Oh, never mind. That's right. <laughs> I'll tell C you. I say, now look, I've got to start losing weight, and if I try to eat some ice cream tonight, don't let me have it. As bad as I want it tonight, don't let me have it. Well, that's kind of what he's saying, although he probably didn't say anything differently. But he said, if I make a different plea, pay no attention to me, rather heed what I'm writing to you now. Boy, that would be a difficult situation. He gets to Rome and he said, I don't want to die now. I said, well, you wrote us. You're going anyway. Uh, he ends most of his letters thinking about the church that he's left. And if you read all of these in their entirety, you will find. He says, remember... The church of Syria in your prayers, in my place they have God for their shepherd. Jesus Christ alone will look after them, he and your love. I blush to be reckoned among them, for I do not deserve it. Being the least of them and an afterthought. Yet by his mercy I shall be something, if that is, I get to God. John? Do we know if he was an official at all, a bishop or something? Yeah, he, he, he was. Yeah, bishop. At, okay. I think it wasn't it Eusebius that said he was a bishop. Is that right? Bishop, and uh, he was a he was a bishop. Yeah. Um, I'm. I get put off a little with false modesty, and it seems to me like there's a little bit of. I don't know whether what other term to use, but. Why would he say, I blush to be reckoned among them when, I mean, the guy's saying I want to go off and be killed. Why is he putting on this mask of saying, oh, I really don't deserve to be considered one of them? That just seems like a little bit of false modesty to me. I, maybe I'm misreading that. Well, Paul said, I'm the least. Paul can... Now, he may yeah. be picking up on that. It could be. That's a good point. What unique expressions did Ignatius use to describe the goal of his journey? Let's see if we can go through these quickly. What, what, and I may not be asking this clearly enough, but what expression did he use to describe what he was after? Get to God. Get to God. That's it. Reach God, get to God. Uh, there were several ways he expressed it, but thats I thought that was a fairly unique thing. I want to get to God, and that I wanted to be in his presence. How did he describe, how did he describe what, he, what he hoped to happen in Rome? Well, he wanted to be... That's right. That's exactly right. Gobbled up, crushed up. I want to be the innards of a lion. Alan? Yeah, Jerry, I... You know, on the, in that last slide, um, I think 7-2, to, to me that whole, when I was reading the letter, the whole thing turns on that phrase right there where he says, if I make a different plea, pay no attention. Yeah. And for me, it, I started reading the letter as a way to steal himself for the coming, I think he really? described it in descriptive and horrific terms in order to prepare himself for the eventuality of that's perhaps what's coming. And then the Good. fact that he said... Pay no attention to me, meaning I need to have courage I, in this moment good. 
and he's not sugarcoating anything for himself as to what's happening. And, and I think what Lauren said is important that, that the that the witness of the martyr is so important to the early church. And for him, this is his testimony, not just for any self reason, but for the fact that this is needed, I think, at the church at this time. Uh, it reminds Which me of fits Polycarp. with what Lauren was saying. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of Polycarp's, uh, you know, the, the church history of Polycarp saying, you know, for 80 and some years I've served Christ, why should I deny him now? It's, it's men like this that are, that, that are showing the way that's, for people. That's good insight, and it does dovetail with what Lauren was saying. That's good. Yeah, John. Uh, that last sentence, well, I, I'm not sure what his theology was, but if he believed in the indwelling of the Spirit, wouldn't God have already gotten to him? Now, what do you, where are you talking about? Yet by his mercy I shall be something if that is I get to God. If he believed in the indwelling of the Spirit, God was already with him there, in him. Yeah, but I, he's, I, he's thinking about some sort of different sphere, different realm uh, rather than God being with him as he lives in flesh on this earth he's talking about I want to be in his presence in this other dimension uh, that's that's the way I, I take it he's still human sounds like he gave up and wants, just wants to leave now this is this is uh, this is not the statements in here are not totally unique to these others, but which way am I going? Oh, there we are. Uh, and we've already covered what did he warn the church in Rome not to do. Do not stop this from happening. But I like what you were saying about how to interpret it as far as um, he's trying to convince himself. Like sometimes we will, if we're going to face something tough, we have to convince ourselves, and so we... We argue on our behalf to convince ourselves, not necessarily somebody else. That's Magnesia, or Magnesia, whichever. Okay, let's read it. Now, this church was, um, it's going to be the first one on the printed sheet. I skipped over to Rome. Uh, this church was uh, in the Ephesus area. Hence, I urge you to aim to do everything in godly agreement. Now, one of his emphases is going to be um, we need, you need to be united. You need to be a united group of people as an individual church and as a church as a whole. Uh, let the bishop preside in God's place and the presbyters take the place of the apostolic council and let the deacons, my special favorites, I don't know why, uh, be entrusted with the ministry of Jesus Christ, who was with the Father from eternity and appeared at the end of the world. Look in all of this for Trinitarian perspective, view of, view of Jesus. Uh, he doesn't deal with that particularly as a subject, but he... Uh, obviously alludes to it in statements, he says. As then the Lord did nothing without the Father, either on his own or by the apostles, because he was at one with him, so you must not do anything without the bishops and the presbyters. Now, I'm wondering if 
what we read here about church structure and church ministry is dictated by the need to be united as a group of people. We'll, we'll see. Maybe we already, I think it was in the letter last week to uh, Ephesus and here that we're already seeing the hierarchy. The monoepiscopacy. Yeah. Uh, now in Clement, Let's see, we did Clement was back... It, maybe it was in Clement. No, Clement, Clement had the biblical picture, okay. I think. Bishops, presbyters, deacons, I believe that's correct. Here we are seeing, there is no question. I don't see how there is any question. You can say, you can argue whether it's right or wrong, but there is no question that these churches were overseen by one bishop. There is... I don't see how that can be questioned. Now, uh, if you do, that's who, fine. Who appointed that bishop? Or how did that bishop I don't that, know. Maybe Lauren, do you? They were elected. They were elected by the church. Yeah. By the church. But it is the case that we, you see, like in the 50s, 60s, multiplicity of elders. You have deacons. You have ministers, traveling ministers. Uh, mostly, and then you come into this period, which is right here in Trajan's period, toward the end of Trajan's rule. This is probably around 115, somewhere in there. But uh, let's read further. Um, but again, uh, my, my point would be one bishop. These churches had one bishop. They had multiple presbyters under the bishop. And then they had deacons. So under, did, did the under bishop the, appoint the presbyters? I don't know, Lauren. Do you know? I don't know. They were mostly all elected. Mostly all for, for the different bishop. for the different right. roles. But if someone died, the bishop would could, could appoint someone else. Could. Or, yeah. But they had one bishop that was over that was overseeing the church, and this is within fifty years of Paul. Okay, let's see. Uh, da, da, da. For if we do not be led astray by wrong views or by outmoded tales that count for nothing, for if we still go on observing Judaism, we admit we never received grace. Now notice there is the allusion here to, the, uh, to Judaism because this relationship between Christianity and Judaism is a... Um, a fluid one and a changing one as it goes from the apostolic period on through the second century, third century, and beyond. The divine prophets themselves lived Christ Jesus' way. That is why they were persecuted, for they were inspired by his grace to convince unbelievers that God is one and that he has revealed himself in his Son, Jesus Christ, who is his word issuing from the silence and who won the complete approval of him who sent him. So he calls Jesus' word issuing from the silence. What do you think that is? Could be the 500 years. It could be. We'll let it hang there. Look at this, 13.2. Defer to the bishop. I mean, this is what Ignatius says. 
defer to the bishop and to one another as Jesus Christ did to the Father in the days of his flesh, and as the apostles did to Christ, to the Father, and to the Spirit. In that way, we shall achieve complete unity. So is it possible that his plea for unity and wanting unity is connected to the structure that the church develops, perhaps necessitated or brought about by the circumstances of the period. Okay, that's what he wrote to the church in Magnesia. And I'll have some questions about that some later. Yes, Gail. On the one previous event, when it says the divine prophets themselves, who's that referring to? I have an idea. Anybody want to? Mm -hmm. I think it's the Old Testament prophets. I think so too. I, I think. But it's, they live Jesus Christ way. Yeah. Okay. I think as a because of their prophecies, they prophetically okay. Okay. look okay. to Jesus. David, would you mind taking account of everybody? Because Leland's not here, and <coughs> as I've said, we get paid on a per capita basis. <laughs> yes. Sir. I think the one area that I always struggle when I read like 13.2 is reading what a word means now to what a word might mean mm -hmm. then. Yeah. So I think of, I've been lost in the American Revolution in the last couple of weeks just reading biographies and the king in England had very different powers than the king in France. They were both called king mm -hmm. but very different roles based off of the structure of those countries at so you time. have to be careful equating the two. That's my challenge is that we read bishop and think the modern Catholicism mm -hmm. hierarchical structure, yeah. but I'm not sure that the word meant that then. So that's my that's my challenge when I read Okay, this. that's uh, that's a good challenge to all of us. The word is overseer, which is the same word. I mean, I didn't check it in every instance, but I think I'm right on this. It is the same word that would be used in by Paul uh, to describe it. But again, the function could have been different. But look in this and see, though, if he isn't expecting the bishop's word to be the authoritative word to the church. And yet he also talks about the council of... Yeah, that's the presbyters. And I'm not sure what that role would be. But how would the... Lauren, do you have any insight into what he's asking, what the role of the bishop and then the presbyters? The deacons, we do find some reference to the deacons serving drink and food, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But the point is, is certainly well taken. You cannot make assumptions about what the words may mean. Though, and I don't know if this would be applicable or not, the translators of this would have translated the word that would have communicated to us what they felt the word would have meant at that time. So defer to the bishop would be this translator's effort to say this is in our terminology today what I think it was saying to them. Does that make sense? Because that first sentence down in under trellis kind of clarifies this. Which one? Or when you obey the bishop. Yeah. 
So yeah. And that pretty well nails this other one down. For when you obey the bishop as if he were, now we've moved to a different letter now, and, and that's the best I could do if we were going to cover all of these is to pull out snippets. And of course, I was the decider on what I would pull. <laughs> so so this so, is saying he speaks for Jesus, which is pretty well the yeah, role of the Pope. And we're going to see that repeated some more. It, let's read this. When you obey the bishop as if he were Jesus Christ, you are, as I see it, living not in a merely human fashion, but in Christ Jesus' way. It is essential, therefore, to act in no way without the bishop, just as you are doing. Submit even to the presbytery. Now here we come back to it. Submit even to the presbytery as to the apostles of Jesus Christ. So he's, he's putting the bishop, equating that with Jesus, the uh, presbytery with the apostles, and the deacons, who are they? I don't know. Uh, he is our hope, and if we live in union with him now, we will gain eternal life. He doesn't define, Fletcher, what you were talking about earlier. He doesn't define really what he means by eternal life. Those two who are deacons of Jesus Christ's mysteries must give complete satisfaction to everyone. For they do not serve mere food and drink, but minister to God's church. Some think that that serving food and drink would be serving at the love feast, perhaps, that was still in existence then. But minister to God's church. Everyone must show the deacons respect. They represent Jesus Christ just as the bishop has the role of the father, and the presbyters are God's counsel and an apostolic band. You cannot have a church. Now, this sounds very Catholic, doesn't it? Uh, you cannot have a church without these. I am sure that you agree with me on this. Be deaf then, sorry but I'm going to push on, be deaf then to any talk that ignores Jesus Christ. Now look at this and Lauren I, I read the little thing they sent out from Lipscomb about you and that was the first time that I had any idea what your dissertation was Let's see, God made flesh, flesh made work. What was, is that it? Yeah. The, something, something. The word made flesh. Word made flesh. Yeah. All right. I thought about that as I was reading some of this. Be deaf then to any talk that ignores Jesus Christ of David's lineage of Mary. Now notice what it says. Who was really born, ate and drank, was really persecuted under Pontius Pilate, was really crucified and died in the sight of heaven and earth and the underworld. He was really raised from the dead, for his father raised him, just as his father will raise us, who believe on him through Jesus Christ, apart from whom we have no genuine life. And if, as some atheists, I mean unbelievers, say his suffering was a sham, it's really they who are a sham. Why then am I a prisoner? Why do I want to fight with wild beasts? In that case, I shall die to no purpose. Yes, and I am maligning the Lord too. Sounds like Paul, doesn't he? If there is no resurrection, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Um, 
there is the assumption that what lies behind some of these words is that there were Christians in this time period who, in order to think through how Jesus was flesh and deity at the same time, argued that Jesus really was not fully human. Uh, they were called docetists, uh, from a Greek word that means appear or seem. And so the argument was Jesus really only appeared or seemed to really be human or to have flesh. And this is a very strong statement on Ignatius' part against that teaching. He goes back to his martyrdom efforts. I am ever so eager to be a martyr, but I do not know if I deserve it. Alan, you've helped me to have a different view on some of this, uh, that he is convincing himself, yes, I can see my way through this. My very chains, which I carry around for Jesus Christ's sake, in my desire to get to God, Karen, we're back to get to God, reach God, that's his goal, submit to the bishop as to God's law and to the presbytery too. All of you, love one another with an undivided heart. My life is given for you, not only now, but especially when I get to God. In Philadelphia, they, they may have had, and I say may because I'm reading between the lines, they may have had a schism there. And uh, he's arguing for unity. Um, this is especially true if you are at one with the bishop and with the presbyters and the deacons. Flee from schism and false doctrine. Not that I found a schism among you, rather had you been sifted. So there may have been a problem in Philadelphia that caused the church, some people to go one way, some people another. He's called it a sifting rather than a schism. And he said, as many as are gods in Jesus Christ, they are on the bishop's side. So that's the side you need to be on. Be on the side of the bishop. That's... Uh, that's the side you need to be on. Be careful then to observe a single Eucharist. It may be that the warring sides, for lack of a better term, had uh, different Eucharists. There's one flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ, one cup of his blood that makes us one, one altar, just as there's one bishop. I mean, this is pretty emphatic. One this, one this, one this. Just like there's one bishop. Uh, pretty clear. Now look at 8.2. This requires a little bit of theological insight. I urge you, do not do things in cliques, but act as Christ's disciples. When I heard some people saying, if I don't find it in the original documents, I don't believe it in the gospel. So he's quoting some people. I answered them, the documents. but it's written. Be silent with the documents. <laughs> Maybe he was looking at it. <laughs> Be silent where the original documents are silent. Speak where the original documents speak. Uh, but he said, I answered them. 
It is in the original documents. They retorted, but that's the question. To my mind, it is Jesus Christ who is the original documents. The inviolable archives are his cross and death and his resurrection and the faith that came by him. Any insights? Lauren, would Jesus is the word have any relevance to this, you think? I think, uh, you know, I don't know if this answers what you're asking, really. I think what he's meaning here is um, amongst the, the kind of disagreements that arise about what God's will is, mm-hmm. um, he's calling them to this kind of, you might say, a sort of a liturgical focus upon Jesus Christ. So a lot of these early theologians did this. They thought by training your mind and heart upon worshiping God through Christ that that would illuminate the rest of God's will in these texts. And so that's I, I think that's what he's up to probably. I don't know. The, uh, yeah, and the liturgy thing, that's something I want to discuss with you some more because liturgy is, has been an issue and a problem for me. Um, but anyway, I, I see this to be anybody else? Somebody else? Any anybody? Any other insight? Uh, I do, in my simplistic way. I saw this as being like, you know, we say that the Bible in the written documents is not the Word; it's the Word written. But the real Word is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. But we only know about that Word through the written Word. I know all the Complications that went from that. Uh, N.T. Wright said something like this. It said, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He didn't say all authority has been given to these books which you're going to write and later recognize as a canon. Right. But we have some, in some cases, we kind of elevated. Because uh, we can only know about that word through the written. But but we can't read the canon back to that phrase, original documents, can we? No, uh, no, no, no. I think uh, I think that's the uh, prophets in the uh, Old Testament yeah, is what that seems to me. Uh, here's Smyrna. Uh, he wrote to the church in Smyrna and to uh, Polycarp. But again, you have the historical setting. He makes a big deal of Jesus really being human, really living at a point in time in history. Um, and even after the resurrection, look at three one. He was in the flesh. Uh, Another (coughs) reference to the Eucharist there. Oh, and this we probably need to look at, and then we'll uh, end up. Ooh, Uh, Flee from schism as the source of of mischief. You should all follow the bishop as Jesus Christ did the Father. So see, he wants unity in the church. How do you get the unity? You follow the bishop. That's how you get the unity. Flee, uh, let's see, you should all follow the bishop as Jesus Christ did the uh, Father. Follow to the presbytery, presbytery as you would the apostles. Respect the deacons. Nobody must do anything that has to do with the church without the bishop's approval. Now that came across clearly as Catholic doctrine later on. You should regard that Eucharist as valid, which is celebrated either by the bishop or by someone he authorizes. Where the bishop is present, there let the congregation gather, just as where Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. 
Leland mentioned that the Catholic Church, first time that term is used, is in Ignatius to Smyrna. Without the bishop's supervision, no baptisms or love feasts are permitted. On the other hand, whatever he approves uh, pleases God as well. How do you interpret the term Catholic Church there? Well, the translator capitalized Catholic. Translator did in this instance, yes. And that's an English thing, you think, right? The, what? the fact that it's capitalized is an English translation. Yeah, I mean, that's the translation. Yeah, that's the. It just means universal church. Well, to move on, uh, and you may not agree with this, but to me it's pretty clear. He's simply making a differentiation between the, the congregation as a church and the church universal. And he says where the bishop is, because that's over a particular church, where the bishop is, that's where there let the congregation gather and let all the congregation and that individual church's activity to take place. But when you look at the global church, uh, then where Jesus is, there is the global church. Uh, the Catholic Church has simply taken that terminology and applied it to the Roman <coughs> Catholic Church. Um, all right. Here are my observations, insights, and questions, and thankfully I will not allow you any time to respond. <laughs> Ignatius' mission is personal and not for everyone. And some of the class discussion in here makes me maybe want to alter that a little bit, but he never in any of these letters said, guys, you better do as I'm doing. But again, some of what you've said here has tempered that a little bit. Central message in most of these, stick together by following the bishop. Another point, Jesus was truly human, a historical person of flesh, and was also eternal with the Father and one with him. That is his theological view of Jesus. And Jesus' relation with the Father is the theological foundation for church unity. All right, next week it's going to be, what is it? Boy, my eyes are failing me. Polycarp. Uh, Polycarp to the Philippians, yes. Do you want to hand, get a hand? Oh, yes, I'm sorry, thank you. David, how many? Okay, thank you. Um, do what now? Did, did you count them? Okay, you better. Yeah.